Yeah. A lot of ways to do it, right? So I think over the years, we've, we've all seen different ways of sharing our faith, right? Evangelizing, right? Different ways to reach people. If you haven't seen it in person, I'm sure you've seen photos or videos or the memes of the guy on the street corner with the megaphone and the big sign, right? And, and you've seen those bold social media posts. Some of them are subtle. Some of them are right in your face. Uh, you've seen the gospel tracks, right? There's still people who give out the, the little gospel tracks. It was huge a generation ago. Still a great way to plant the seed unless you're my grandma. So this one time we were in Florida, my brother and I, and we were with my grandparents, and we were, got up from a restaurant, and grandma left a tip, except it wasn't a tip. It was a gospel track with a fake $20 bill designed to stick out so it looked like you're getting a big tip, and then it's just Jesus. And you're like, oh, okay, sweet. So she just wanted to let the waitress know how wonderful God is and all those things. I'm like, grandma, this is not how we do it. Um, also, grandma, they, their church, actually kind of a cool thing, there was a, a flea market right near their church, and so their church would rent out a booth every weekend and different people would man the booth. And it wasn't in your face. It wasn't crazy. It was just an opportunity as people were passing by if they had questions about church or God or things like that. And they would have some pretty amazing conversations around those things. But sometimes sharing your faith is just as simple as just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with my child, right, in the quietness of our home. Or I'm going to get with another loved one, find a private moment. Uh, or maybe it's just... Maybe for some people, it's just got to get them to church, right? I'm nervous. I'm, I'm, I'm unsure about this whole process and what to say. But if I get them to church, pastor will get them, right? Whatever that looks like. And there's lots of different ways and strategies and different things. And there's pros and cons. I remember one particular instance in college. Uh, before I went in the ministry direction, I spent a year at Eastern Michigan. And uh, I just remember one late night, a kid from across the hall was hanging out. And late night conversation, and it turned towards spiritual stuff, right? And God came up and Jesus came up and ended up praying with that kid to receive Christ. It was really awesome. But then I, I served with a campus ministry at a local high school up in Grand Rapids. And the strategy of that one was like, hey, we're going to do weekly stuff. We're going to do club stuff. We're going to do lunches with these kids. But let's get them on the spring break trip, right? That was the big thing. If we get them on the spring break trip, it's fun and exciting. And we hit them with the gospel. That was their strategy. So there's, there's lots of different ways to do it, different uh, things that we've all seen. But it's important to realize that everything we do paints a picture of Jesus. Everything we do paints a picture of his church and of salvation. And so we've been in this series for a few weeks now called Old School Evangelism and kind of a, a play on different ways that we've done it in the past, things that we look at and go, oh, that's weird, but they're still applicable today, right? What we're trying to do is recapture a passion for the people in our lives who are far from God. And, and this series, and today, especially if you're visiting, if, if you're walking in and church is kind of a new thing for you and you're just kind of checking things out and you're still skeptical about this God thing, this particular talk is not for you, right? I'm, I'm going to let you off the hook today. You can just kind of sit back and enjoy and evaluate my sweet Under Armour shirt if you want to. Whatever you need to do, this is for those who are here and, they have, and we're trying to recapture a passion for those who are still trying to figure it out, still searching, who, who are still trying to decide what's their place in all of this. And so we've talked about Jesus, right, and, and how he was a friend of sinners. And that is a huge part of his story, about his, of his time here on this planet. And, and he went out of his way to not just interact with sinners, but became close friends with sinners and invested in sinners. And yeah, we're all sinners, but we're talking about Jesus hung out with people that the sinners said, those are the sinners, right? And so he went outside of the normal box. And then before he left earth, he circled up his closest friends and said, listen, I have all the authority of God invested in me right now. And how I'm going to use that, I'm going to leave it with you. And I'm going to say, here's your mission. I want you to go show other people what this looks like. I want you to teach them. I want you to baptize them, right? 
So we ask the question, who's them for us? Who are the people in our lives, at work, at school, in our families, on the Zoom call, right? All of these individuals that God brings our way, do we have a heart for who they are, for what they're experiencing in life, for their need for Jesus, just like we all need Jesus? And so today we continue in a very practical direction. Last week we talked about how, man, you got to have some contact. you got to get outside your, your Christian bubble. That was a challenge for me as much as anyone. Let's get outside of our circle. Let's get uncomfortable. Let's build friendships with people that God has placed on our hearts. And so today, as we interact with people, as we're building genuine friendships with people that God has placed on our hearts, we have to keep a couple very important things in mind. First one, uh, we're going to find in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we touched on this a little bit in our Peter series this winter, But 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So always be prepared to to explain to people, what has Jesus meant in your life? What difference has he made? And we're going to talk about our story a little bit next week in a practical way. But be ready to share. But when you do that, do it with gentleness and and respect. What we need to understand is that the way we share, the way we talk, the way we explain, the way that we answer matters. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. It's not just what you do, it's how you do it. And we're going to kind of play with that idea throughout the morning with some practical ideas, some important reminders about how to, how to take what we know about Jesus' story and infuse that into our interactions to make it about their story, the story of the people that we care about. But first, Another reminder in Acts chapter 2, a very, uh, very important phrase, very important passage when it comes to the early church and God laying the foundation of what these types of interactions were to look like. Acts 2.42, and then a pretty important verse at the end of it. We'll get to that. It says, They devoted themselves, these early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that's the key phrase. Because what we see is this amazing fellowship, these amazing gatherings, amazing worship, amazing teaching, amazing miracles being performed, right? And all of these huge things happening as they gathered and studied the scriptures. But the key thing is that in the midst of all those amazing things, it was the Lord who added daily to their number. It wasn't the things that they were doing. It was God moving in their midst. We see something similar in Acts chapter 9. And in that moment, there's, there's really some religious upheaval happening throughout the Middle East as these stories start coming out of this Jesus guy who showed up kind of out of nowhere and was this great teacher. And then miracles, and I heard he died and maybe rose from the grave. And so there's all these questions. Okay, what's real about this? What's, what's myth about all of this? What actually happened? And in the midst of that, the big persecutor, a guy named Saul, is traveling the country finding Christians, throwing them in prison, persecuting them, having some of them killed. And in the midst of all of this craziness, that guy gets saved, right? His name changes to Paul. And all of a sudden, things are happening. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 9, in the midst of all that. Sounds like somebody's rolling through an airport back there. (laughs) Sorry, Brian, had to call you out, brother. (laughs) Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says, so this is 
coming off of all of these things that are sweeping through the region, the, the stories of Saul, now Paul, who's come to Christ, this amazing thing. In verse 31, then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the church increased in numbers. It's important that we have to keep in mind that in the midst of all the different things that we talk about, how to relate to their story, how to build relationships, how to talk about our story and share what Jesus has done in our lives, it is God who does the work. It's God who softens people's hearts. It's God who moves. It's God who changes hearts and then changes lives. And so whatever pressure you may feel, whatever weight you might feel on your shoulders about the people that you love and the people that God has placed on your heart, you have to take that job, take that responsibility, and place it firmly back on God's shoulders where it belongs. We are called to accompany him. He said, follow me, accompany me. It's him, not you. And even in the midst of that, whatever insecurities you have, whatever, uh, whatever shortcomings you believe that you have in the midst of this whole process, I don't have the answers, I don't have, I'm not good with words, I'm not comfortable around new people, I'm, not a, all these different, I'm an introvert, all these different things, you're not big enough to mess up God's plans. So if he's going to have a conversation, he's going to have the conversation. If he's going to go visit someone, he's going to go visit someone. If he's going to move in somebody's life, he's going to move in somebody's life. And he simply asked us to come along and be a part of the process of sharing and loving and guiding people in their experience as they journey towards him. And so then for us, our job is simply to be, instead of a speedboat, the guy in the video, that guy's a speedboat. I'm, I'm going here, I'm going there, this is what I'm doing, I gotta do all this, I gotta jump on the table, I gotta jump on the counter, I gotta ask these people about hell, right? I gotta turn everything back to this conversation. Don't be a speedboat, be a sailboat. Look how it played out in, uh, back in Acts chapter 1. As Jesus is getting ready to leave and he leaves behind the Great Commission, he says in Acts 1, verse 8, he says, When I leave, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And then, so they hole up in this room and they're, wait, what's this even, what's even going to happen? Like, what's this even look like? What's the Holy Spirit all about? Jesus has taught on it and hinted at it, but we're not quite sure what this is. But in chapter 2, it happens. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. By the way, if you're waiting for tongues of fire to tell your neighbor about Jesus, stop, okay? It's time. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, however you want to interpret that for this morning, as the Holy Spirit enabled them. And so they bust out of this room and they all start preaching. And Peter's sermon in particular is recorded. But basically at the end of all this, 3,000 people come to know Jesus as a result of this one moment. All of it instigated by, all of it led by, all of it accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And the word for spirit, Hebrew version, Greek version, they also mean a wind, a breath, a blast of the nostrils, right? It was God who moved, and the disciples were moved by him, not the other way around. And so be a sailboat. Be aware of what God is doing. Be available for him to lead you. Be available for him to work through you because it's his work. This is why over the last couple of weeks we've asked you to fill out the prayer cards and, and have two or three people on your, on your mind and on your heart because we're saying, hey, God, where are you moving? God, who needs to hear? God, where is your wind blowing? I just want to be a sailboat that you guide and direct. I want to go where you're going. 
I think a lot of times that extra weight that we feel, that extra pressure that we feel, some of the odd ways that people share sometimes or preach sometimes, I think sometimes those strategies are born out of that pressure that we're not supposed to carry as people. So back to the way that we share, the way that we minister, the way that we reach people, because like I said, it's God who leads, it's God who empowers, right? And we become walking representations of him. And so we're putting the focus for today on the thems in our life, on their story, on their life, on their needs, and how we do it matters. Of course, there's different variations, and it changes throughout the generations, and, and sometimes things change, and sometimes things stay the same, and, but it comes back to the basics. And so as we get into some of this today, very practical. Some of them I can take, and I can attach a Bible verse to it and say, this is where this comes from. Some of it is just kind of practical, how to reach people kind of things. And so as I encourage you to try some of these things, some of it will resonate with you, some of it might not, but some of it hopefully will spur other ideas in you when it comes to, all right, how do I, how do I go from acquaintance to budding friendship? How do I go from friendship and turn the conversation spiritually? How do I connect the story of Jesus, the friend of sinners, with the story of this person who's living their life? And how do I connect all these different things? And, and so uh, we'll jump into that. So the first thing that we do as Christians, as we're attempting to impact the story of another person is we pray. We pray. We are spiritual beings engaged in a spiritual mission. And the battle for souls is not a physical battle. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And the way we fight a battle like that is through prayer. So do you have a heart for a friend? Do you have a heart for a family member? Do you have a heart for one of your coworkers? Do you have a heart for one of your children? Then pray that God would move and God would work and God would soften their heart and God would draw them to himself. Kind of sticking with the, the sailboat theme, there's a, a movie from back in 2003, actually a really entertaining movie if you haven't seen it. It's called Master and Commander. Uh, Russell Crowe was the lead actor in that particular movie. Uh, basically an 1800s French warship and some of their adventures, lots of highs and lows, lots of crazy stories, lots of battles that they end up in. But there's a, a, one particular moment in the movie that's pretty interesting, and it, and it covers several days of the story, where in that moment there is zero wind. Now, I don't know if you're a big uh, sailboat person. I'm not a huge sailor, but I've been around a couple enough to know that if even if there's just a slight breeze, you can manipulate the sails, right? There's things that you can do to, to capture that light breeze and, and make some movement, make some headway, use the rudder, do what you got to do, right? There, there's things that you can do even with a light breeze, but if there's zero wind, you have no options, and so over the course of this movie, you discover that we're talking about the best ship in their Navy. It's being captained by arguably the best captain in the Navy. It's being led by an experienced crew with decades of combined experience at sea. And all of those things combine for several very important days to leave them completely helpless. The ship wasn't good enough. The captain wasn't good enough. The crew wasn't good enough until the wind blew. And we see throughout the New Testament all these different stories of places people go and conversations they have and miracles that happen or don't happen. And it all kind of has these phrases like, filled with the Spirit, we went this way. Led by the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit, we approached this person, 
but not that. We, we went this way instead of that way. We wanted to go this way, but compelled by the Spirit, we avoided that way and went this way. And all these different things happen. Words that are spoken, decisions that are made, locations that are visited, always a spiritual process, allowing themselves to be blown and led by the breath of God, by the wind that he produced by his Holy Spirit. You have to start with prayer. And so we're going to stop right now and pray. Not me, you. So we're going to pass the microphone around and everybody's going to get a chance. No, we're not going to do that. If you're new to this church, you're like, oh, no, we got to get out of here. This is crazy. No, but, but here's what we want to do. We, we've, we've asked you to consider those two or three people over the last couple weeks. And hopefully you've taken opportunities to pray for them and keep them on your heart. We've taken opportunities here to, to, to go through that stack of cards and make sure we cover those names in prayer but I'd love to just stop for three, four minutes right now and give you an opportunity. We're going to play some really light music in the background just to kind of fill some of that awkward silence. But you can do this alone. You can do it together with the person you came with. Totally up to do. You can, you can do it quietly. You can do it out loud. Totally up to you, however you want to do it. But basically, pray for those people's hearts. Pray for the right words if you're given an opportunity. Pray for courage if you're given an opportunity. Pray for clarity in those moments. And you're basically saying, God, where are you going? Can I come along? It could be those two or three names that you wrote on a card. It could be someone brand new that God brings to your, to your mind in this moment. But just take these few minutes. Just pray for them. Pray for the opportunities. Pray that God would move in that direction. Go ahead. I'll be back up in a couple.
you kind of wrap that up, I wonder if you'll go a step further with me. If you're willing, here's what I'd like you to do. Whether it's multiple names or you just choose one, um, I want to challenge you to text them right now. I want to challenge you to pull your phone out. Okay, I know you've already had it out two or three times. You check Facebook. You're all set there, right? <laughs> pull out your phone. And I'm going to put a, a, a sample text up on the screen. You can do this, some variation of it, or something more or something less. Here's what I'd challenge you to text them. Hey, sitting in church, just challenged to pray for someone, and you came to mind. Hope you're having a great morning. If you're willing, would you take a second and do that? As you finish that up, just want to stick on the topic of prayer for a second. This coming Thursday is the National Day of Prayer around our country. Um, and there's an event that uh, I take part in every year. Our church is kind of a part of uh, the Washtenaw County National Day of Prayer. It's happening at Washtenaw Christian Academy this Thursday evening at 7 p.m. If anybody's interested in coming out, it's always a great event. Just various pastors from the area, various churches coming together. Uh, different people from the, the communities around us. So 7 p.m. this Thursday up at WCA. We'd love to have you guys out for that if, uh, if you can make it. So we start with prayer. It's a spiritual battle. We, we fight it with our greatest spiritual weapon at our disposal, and that is prayer. Second thing we do, and I told you we're getting super practical here, the second thing we do as Christians is we eat. For thousands of years, all the way back to the beginning, go back to Acts chapter 2, that passage that we read. How many times did they mention gathering and breaking bread together, right? We have gathered around food. We have shared around food and served and impacted people around food. We did it as a way to gather and remember Jesus, but also as a way to share food with people who needed it. You can go all the way back to some of the first and second century Roman authors and writers of that time. The leaders were having these conversations going, hey, we... We're having trouble stopping this Christianity thing, right? We've made it illegal. We've tried persecution. We've tried prison, even executions of their leaders and of some of the followers. But it just keeps growing because they, among other things, just keep feeding people. Everyone is welcome in their homes, even people who completely disagree with them. And we can't compete with that. And some of these writings talk about how they need to copy what the Christians are doing if they want to maintain their influence with the people. Everybody eats. Think about your life. Think about big memories and impacting moments that you've had with family and friends. Maybe you reconnected after years of separation. Maybe celebrated holidays or other significant events. Maybe celebrated big changes and big accomplishments. Or maybe you were processing disappointment or loss or heartache. Maybe you're watching the big game. Maybe standing around processing how the big game went. All of those memories. Think about those memories include food. You want to reach someone? And you want to connect with someone who needs Jesus, you want to encourage a fellow believer, invite them into your home or take them to your favorite spot for a meal. Food can be a huge factor, a huge practical thing to involve in this process of placing the emphasis on them and their story and their needs. So we pray and we eat. And thirdly, we ask 
questions. I think too often for Christians, our default is to just shout a bunch of answers, but we need to ask more questions. Think of it this way. In Jesus' time on earth, what's recorded in the Gospels, Jesus asked around 300 questions in the Gospels. He received, he was asked 180 questions, and he only directly answered three of them. The Jewish teachers asked, what's the greatest commandment? His disciples said, teach us to pray. How do we pray? And Pilate asked, are you a king? Every other question Jesus either ignored or he kept silent or he turned around and answered their question with a question or he changed the subject or he told a story or he told them they were asking the wrong question. Jesus asked 100 questions for every one answer he gave. I think it's time for us to show some genuine curiosity, show some genuine interest, to show some genuine care. And here's a way to help, because some, some of you guys have the gift of gab, and you can just get rolling, right? But some of us have struggle in some of those one-on-one situations. What, what do I talk about? What questions do I ask? Right? What does this look like? Well, we're going to steal some ideas from the sales world. You can Google this. This is real, but you, you can write it down if you need to. You're going to follow the form method, F-O-R-M, the form method. You can ask about family. Right? People talk about their kids all day. Hey, tell me about your family. Hey, what's it, what was it like growing up as the only girl in the family, as the only boy in the family? How'd you meet your spouse? What, what was it like? Oh my gosh, you have twins. What's it like having twins? Where did you grow up? Do you still have family there? How come you don't live there anymore? Tell me about your family. You can also ask about occupation. Tell me about your job. Tell me about that business that you started. What's the best part of your job? What's the most challenging? Why did you choose that profession? What would you tell someone who's just starting out in that career field? You can ask about family. Ask them about occupation. You can ask them about some of their recreational stuff. What do you do for fun? What do you do in your spare time? How did you get into that? What did you do for fun as a kid? What's your favorite kind of food? What's your favorite restaurant, right? And then when you start to hear in any of these categories things that you have in common, park there, right? One or two things that you guys share in common and just camp on that topic. So family, occupation, recreation, and then finally motivation. So aside from work, aside from the fun stuff, what's really important to you? What drives you, right? If you didn't have to work, what would you do? If money was no object, what would you do with your time? What makes you the happiest? If you were given five minutes to talk to the president, what would you say to him? Careful. (laughs) Careful. Speak loudly in November of 24, right? All All that junk. If you had a month to live, what would you do? If you could go back and live this season of your life over again, what would you do differently? What's your motivation in life? And guys, it's not about being a salesman. It's not about tricks or manipulation. It's simply a tool and it's a reminder that it's not about you. Asking genuine questions ensures that it's about them. Asking good questions ensures that it starts to get their their mind thinking about life at the heart level. So we ask questions. And then we follow that up with this. We listen. We listen. James 1 says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Our culture is the exact opposite. Everyone wants a voice. Everyone wants to be heard. And so the strategy is get louder and louder and louder and get more obnoxious and more obvious, get more attention. And then people see that person getting attention. So they double up and go, I got to get louder than them and more obnoxious than them. And all these different things come out. If you want to stand out in our culture, Ask a good question and listen. It's not easy, right? That's why when you try to call a good counselor, 
there's a waiting list. Because listening to people has become so rare that we have to find a trained professional in order to feel heard. And so you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to challenge yourself. Some of you are going to have to perfect the art of shutting up, right? This is something that we struggle with sometimes. you got to get creative. So one thing that I've done, and you can copy this or, do, or find your own way to remind yourself to be a better listener and to put this emphasis on them, is in my job, I just end up at a lot of breakfasts, a lot of lunches, a lot of coffee-type things, so my goal, if I'm, now if I'm, if I'm meeting with a best friend, it's just back and forth, it's whatever. But if I'm having lunch or breakfast with someone, my goal is to finish eating before them. Not because I scarf it down, but because I've asked some good questions. So for me, and some of you I've had lunch with and breakfast with, and you're like, yeah, that was a little awkward when he finished eating so fast. What in the world? So, so for me, if you're feeling awkward, because I'm done eating and you've barely started. To me, that's awkward for you, but it's mission accomplished. Because I've asked good questions. I've touched on a couple things that they care about, that they're passionate about. I've touched on some things that they want to talk about or need to talk about. And I've listened. Interject sometimes? Absolutely. But processing what they're saying, finding a way to push them further with a follow-up question, that's the win for me. Sometimes you have to get creative. You've got to make up little rules and games for yourself to become a better question asker, a better listener. And the key to all of this is that it's all about them. Your prayers have been about them. The food has been about them. The questions have been about them. And your responses have all been about them. That's the heart of the process. Last week we talked about Jesus, friend of sinners. That's his story. And as you attempt to live his story, you're making an effort to care and invest in their story. You've asked God to put wind in your sails and now you're doing your best to put wind in their sails because the way you do it matters. Maybe it's time for an invite. An invite to church? Sure. Church is great. It's great when people come to church, but your them might not be ready to say yes to church. But they might say yes to coffee. Right? Celine, Brood Awakenings, The Owl, down to Dundee, cool beans, right? There's some great coffee spots along the 23 corridor. You might say yes, Scott. They might say yes to a meal. A meal in your home, a meal at a restaurant, whatever. They might say yes to a conversation. Guys, what we're talking about is called relational evangelism. It is super old school. It's 2,000 years old, as a matter of fact, but it works. Let's pray. God, we... Just pray that as we walk out of here again today that you would continue to work in the lives of those that we've placed before you, the lives of those that you've put on our heart, the people that we love, the people that we interact with, that we want to grow in relationship with, God, knowing that along the line you may give us an opportunity to share your truth, to love them the way you love them, to help them experience what we've already experienced in you. God, we ask that in those moments you would give us the courage to speak, the courage to listen, the courage to ask good questions, the courage to infuse food and, and bring comfort that comes along with that. But God, most of all, we would pray for them and ask you to go first. God, do a work and we'll come along in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. We'll be praying for you. Love you. Hope you have some cool opportunities coming up. See you next week.